Welcome to another edition of Dogger Pass Podcast. This for UFC Vegas 44 font versus Aldo. I'm Paul Shaughnessy, joined by the power of Zoom by Cody Safta, coming off of a little one-week hiatus. How was your week off there, Code? Yeah, not good. I screwed up. Uh, supposed to be a week off, and I love the week off. But then I end up saying, you know what? This triad combat thing looks pretty appealing, so I'm going to have a look. Mike Perry came through. That was good times. Uh, and then beyond that, there's a huge Bellator card on the Friday, and there's 15 fights in this UFC Saturday, which I hadn't really realized. So I should have used some of that downtime just to catch up on a couple fights instead of trying to cram them all at once. But what I can say, Paul, is coming back onto this excellent episode, great show this week, like good-looking card, but dog city, brother. You can make a strong, compelling argument for every single one of these underdogs. So this is going to be a fun one to jump back into, and hopefully we can make it a profitable one because – you get the right set of combination of dogs on this card, you are making money. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, there's your boy Chris Curtis who we'll talk about a little bit further down the card, and I don't necessarily even think he's one of the dogs that you're talking about. I'm, I'm going to be listening to you on it, obviously, because you're the Chris Curtis whisperer, but but no, that, that was my initial take from this card. It's like, I can make a lot of arguments for a lot of these underdogs, but let's just get right into it. Main event, we've got Rob Font taking on Jose Junior Aldo Font is a minus one forty five favorite. Aldo can be had for plus one twenty five. Aldo, I mean, people probably have left this guy for dead after losing to Volkanovski, Marlon Marais, and Peter Yan, and then he he pops back up and you know at least has winning performances, especially the one against uh, Pedro Munoz, where he landed a lot more significant strikes than I think we're accustomed to seeing uh, Jose Aldo have in terms of output in a fight but he get, gets back on track he's right back in the you know that top five circle winner of this fight you could probably make an argument if bantamweight's title picture wasn't so so cloudy right now that one of these guys is going to fight uh, peter yon for the strap but uh well, obviously aljamain's got to step in there first if he does step in but uh, I think if, if it comes down to a five rounds, if Aldo doesn't land like a liver shot, something something really damaging, uh, doesn't really, really attack those leg kicks early on, I think he just gets out volumed over the, over the course of five rounds. So I think fight, Font is the rightful favorite in this spot. I don't think minus 145 is all that bad. Uh, give me Font. What about you? Yeah, this one's got me bugged, to be honest with you. I think when it first gets announced, the idea is, oh, yeah, font, font, big, long jab, you know, better volume. Okay, stick to the outside. But Jesus, if Jose Aldo is on a career resurgence right now, he certainly looked at the last time out against Pedro Munoz, and I made a big mistake in taking Pedro Munoz. And I believe all the exact same things you're saying right now. He's going to have the volume game over over uh, Jose Aldo. I honestly thought that Pedro Munoz would be the one inflicting the leg kicks. And when you look at the numbers and you watch Pedro Munoz fights, this guy's in your face the entire time. Yet he was completely rendered neutralized by Jose Aldo, who honestly did look career best. Now I think to myself, well, why am I in particular? Because you're right. It's not just me. It's a lot of people. But, but why are we so harsh on Jose Aldo? And you talk about those big losses, but... Alexander Volkanovsky, you mean the greatest featherweight to ever do the damn thing? Okay, mm-hmm. interesting. Who else? Like, oh, Peter Young? <laughs> you mean the best bantamweight to ever do the damn thing? Okay, interesting. And he looked very, very good against Peter Young, 
you know, until eventually he tired out. And you're right, uh, volume did eventually take over. But I think you're talking about he's fighting some of the greatest guys to ever walk the planet. And yep. while he's competitive with them, he can't really get over that bump. Rob Font, meanwhile, Rob Font's been beneficiary of fighting some guys with good names, but may have otherwise been over the hill. Marlon Marais, well, we know he's over the hill. Cody Garbrandt, don't really want to go into that, but not like the, the biggest quality win. In fact, you beat him up for 25 minutes, couldn't knock him out? Hmm. Interesting that you couldn't knock him out. His other knockouts are Marlon Marais, who's also chinny. Uh, Thomas Almeida, who's chinny. Matt Schnell, who is chinny. So he's going to have to beat on Jose for the 25 minutes. And I agree. I keep coming back to volume. Vol you got to volume this guy. You got to volume this guy. When you look at the fight with Cody Garbrandt, he lands 176 significant strikes. That's huge. Aldo ain't landing that. But there's something to be said for power over the volume. And what Font does a lot is jab. He just sticks the jab out. He's got a big, long, accurate jab. And that worked awesome against Cody Garbrandt, who you've now seen go down to 125 pounds. Aldo's a big guy. Used to be the king at 45. Solid at 135. A great counter to the jab would be the leg kick. Aldo doesn't really throw a ton of leg kicks anymore. But again, if he stands his ground, he's going to have the bigger firepower. And in a close fight in Las Vegas, I could see it getting nudged towards Jose Aldo. He is the underdog. I think that the line is accurate. Slight favorite Rob Font. But God, I'm tempted to maybe take an underdog shot here. Uh, I faded Aldo in the past. It's worked out for me sometimes. It hasn't last time. But the sorry, the last time in particular, the Pedro Munoz fight. Man, I had to eat crow in that. He looked awesome. If he comes out, similar version of that. I think he can win this fight. If he comes out and he takes the first round off and he's not a fourth and fifth round guy, he's never really been a fourth and fifth round guy, then I, I, yeah, maybe fawn over the course of five rounds, edges him out of 48-47. But as of right now, I think I'm going to go slight edge towards the underdog, Jose Aldo. We'll see if anything changes, but this is Dog City and uh, there's maybe an underdog in the main event here. I would just be worried about if Rob Font's able to put up 176 strikes like he did against Garbrandt, against Aldo, it's, uh, I just don't think Aldo can keep that pace. I mean, I guess he did put up like 114 in three rounds against, uh, against, against your boy, uh, Pedro Munoz. Anyway, we move on. Obviously. Well, sorry, sorry, just, just real quick, but Cody Garbrandt has a 65 inch reach, right? So he's giving up six inches of reach to Rob Font. That was the story of the fight. Jose Aldo was a 70 inch reach. That jab's not going to be nearly as effective. He's going to have to stand closer to him, stand in the center of the cage. Also like wrestling Jose has been a path, you know, like tire him out, take him down a little bit, grind him. Font, Font doesn't have do that. that Font's yeah. going to have to be, whereas you saw Jose Aldo when he took on Tito Vera, it was like, whoops, I'm on your back. Oh, turns out he's got a BJJ black belt as well. So those variables for an underdog, she, but yeah, again, we could, we could argue this one for the entire two hours of this show, or we can move on. Unfortunately, we're going to have to move on, but I love it. This is uh, this is good time. It's a great, great fight, and it, I don't think we have to argue it because it doesn't sound like really either one of us are like overly You're confident right. in either side. But I like Font, you like Aldo. We move on to Rafael Fazayev taking on Brad Riddell. Minus 120, slight favorite to Rafael Fazayev. Uh, Brad Riddell can be had for plus 100. Who you got here, bud? Got to go with my guy, Brad Riddell, for sure. And when we're talking about volume over power, I think that's a great example in, in Rafael Fazeev's last fight. His name's probably Rafael. I don't know why I call him Rafael. He's not Brazilian. Rafael Fazeev's last fight against Bobby Green, he gets outstruck 143 to 104. Most notably, he got outstruck 32 to 25 in the first, 45 to 36 in the second, and 66 to 43 in the third. Yet, almost universally, everybody had Rafael Fazeev winning that fight the first two rounds, losing the third round to Bobby Green. So how does a guy get outstruck in all three rounds, but then clearly win 
two of the three rounds. Geez, those power body kicks, Paul. It was the power. It was the impact. That's what I'm hoping to get out of out of Jose Aldo over Rob Font in the main event. That's what I'm hoping not to get out of this Brad Riddell fight. Mm-hmm. I think I think similar to the argument in the main event, Brad Riddell is going to have the volume over Rafael Fiziev. I mean, this guy is just so tight. He's very, very technical. I like everything that Brad Riddell has been doing lately. And I think there's just been a real good resurgence. This Not a resurgence, but this entire guy's out of New Zealand, Israel Adesanya himself. They've been making a lot of improvements. They've been getting a lot more comfortable. But Riddell, to me has always been a real clean, precise kickboxer. It's the element of his takedown defense needs some improvement for him to get to elite. Now that you're seeing that his takedown defense has improved a lot, A, and B, they're not really giving him takedown guys anymore. They're giving him strikers. You're going to see him be able to shine. So we took that underdog shot on him against Drew Dover. He was, I believe, like a plus 130 underdog, plus 140 underdog. A lot of people had Drew Dover because of the superior firepower. But again, when you look at the technicality, the fluidity, just the accurate, the accuracy of Brad Riddell, he's a smooth operator. And there's a really a lot to like about what he does in there. He took Drew Dober's best shots in the first round. He was incredibly rocked in that first round. I was looking like an idiot in that first round. But you see the guy persevere every time. He rocks Drew Dober right back. It ended up being a dog fight. And you saw that the longer this thing went, Drew Dober trains at altitude. Drew Dober's got a cast iron chin. Drew Dober's got all these intangibles that make a good fighter, a great fighter. And Brad Riddell well, he can't stop the takedown, though. And that's, he started mixing in the takedowns, and that was a big, big changing of the the pace of the fight for Brad Riddell. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And when I look at Rafael Fiziev, he is a purist in the kickboxing world, right? Both guys have spent time together at Tiger Muay Thai over in Thailand, where Rafael Fiziev was one of the coaches. Brad Riddell coming from New Zealand would spend some time there. So when you take on a tricky fighter for the first time, like he does a Sanchai lean back, right? With the fadeaway. Whoa, man, I've never seen this before, right? Some of his moves, some of his setups, you'd never see it before. So how do you prepare for it? The advantage for Brad Riddell is that he has seen this setup. He knows this guy. He knows a little bit of that trickiness. So I think he's going to be able to go out there and kind of dissect him a little bit. Now, when I think about Rafael Fiziev, geez, that Bobby Green fight, A, he did get out struck in all three rounds. B, by the third round, Paul, he was cooked. Now, call it he was throwing power shots. Yeah, maybe that was it. He was throwing some power shots. Boy, oh, boy. But he got tired. And once he got tired, that's when you saw Bobby Green take over. Not that Bobby wasn't having success throughout the course of the fight. To me, Brad Riddell is a better striker than Bobby Green. He's going to have that cardio, same advantage. The third round should be Brad Riddell's. He needs to split the first two rounds, Mm 1-1 worst case. We can make it 1-1 going into the third. We've got this fight. We're down 2 nothing going into the third. I don't know that Brad Riddell's got the gun power to to punch out Fazeev in the last round. But... If he can just keep this competitive through two and take it into the third, he's going to win that third round. So I got to go with Brad Riddell again here. I mean, he's not failed me so far. He's He's been, you know, one of these guys ever since he's come to the UFC. I've backed him in every single fight. And I think he's, what is he, currently 4-0 in the UFC? But you see a progression. The Jamie Malarkey fight is actually com- pretty competitive. The Magomed Mustafa fight, geez, he got taken down six times, but he kept getting back up. The Alex De Silva fight, he did get taken down, but he looked a lot more comfortable. And then the Drew Dober fight, that was his masterpiece. Meanwhile, he had a scheduled fight with Gregor Gillespie that unfortunately got pulled off. But you want to talk about he's fighting wrestlers and giving up takedowns, and he's signing on the dotted line to take on Gregor? Crazy. Now you got a guy like Drew Dober, a purist striker. You show off some of the best. He just keeps getting better. Keeps getting better. He's only 30 years old. I like what I see. Fazeev, it's not that he's not getting better. I said I don't really see him getting all that better. He's a, he's a badass. He's a total badass. He's a power-striking badass. There's ways to figure him out. There's ways to frustrate him. Once he gets frustrated, I think his game will fall apart a little bit. So this is another close competitive fight. This could be fight of the night very easily. You Mm -hmm. might even go ahead and say it's the people's main event, but this is a dogger pass. Brad Riddell, they're giving you slight underdog status on him. I'm going to take him.
I mean, if you're Brad Riddell, maybe maybe push this fight up against the cage a little bit. Make it a little greasy in round one. Slow down Fazeev. Those uh, you know, the explosion, the explosive strikes, and so on and so forth. Like, put in some time early on in the fight to kind of slow down the pace a little bit. The fans may not like it, but you're in the apex. There's only like twenty. Yeah. There's only Be twenty smart. people there. You can't. There's nobody. Yeah. Nobody's nobody man. Nobody's man enough to boo in the yeah. apex because those guys can hear you they can <laughs> see so you and they'll see you in the parking lot out back right. all That's right fair. moving on down we got uh, leonardo santos taking on clay guida minus 180 santos plus 155 guida i mean santos just absolutely just uh, i mean the guy's supposed to be a legitimate legitimate black belt right and it's Finally, when he was able to, like, he, he was finally able to get to the fight to the ground against uh, Grant Dawson in round three. And obviously got finished with the hammer fist, like, right as the bell was about to go off. But the fact that he wasn't engaging, trying to go for takedowns constantly was very, very, very frustrating. I think I, I was a Santos better. Than, I was Santos by sub, I think, was something stupid. And uh, he didn't even necessarily get close, but... The path to to winning this fight, obviously, he's got all of the intangible. Uh, all the intangibles are on his side. He's got five inch reach advantage. He's way taller, way way yeah. He's just way bigger than Clay Guida. Clay Guida, a former one hundred forty five pounder. And if he gets this fight to the mat, I mean, the best way to beat Clay Guida is to submit him. It's it's happened time and time again. I don't expect him to get all that much better on the mat, but trusting Leonardo Santos to get that takedown or does he even have the skill to track uh clay guida down corner him and get him to the mat that that's where the real problem persists here because i see leonardo santos is like plus 375 of DraftKings sportsbook um to win by sub which seems ludicrous but you have to trust in him to get the takedown clay's got this ability in all of these close fights of just the judges love what they see. I don't know if it's like the flowing mane bouncing, like there's something about it. But like every every one of his fights is just he, he's still getting like against Madsen. I didn't really think it was even remotely close to being a, a split, but one of the judges favored it on his side. Like he gets close rounds in a lot of judges' scorecards. So if this ends up being on the feet, Santos doesn't really throw more than like fifty significant strikes in any given fight it could get real real greasy pick is santos i mean if santos if i knew santos was going to attack the wrestling and try to get this fight to the mat i would be a lot more um aggressive with with the play but uh i'm interested in santos by sub which is like yeah plus 375 as i said earlier but i just can't trust this guy to get the fight to the mat so minus 180 i think i'm just straight up passing yeah, I mean, you're not wrong. Santos seems to be, like, the more skilled guy for sure. I think he's got better striking than Clay Guida. He's definitely got better grappling than Clay Guida. And, yeah, he's the bigger overall guy. Guida had some success at 145 pounds, whereas moving back up to 55, he's a little bit undersized. Santos, meanwhile, is the natural lightweight. But they're both older for sure. I mean, Leo Santos is 41 years old. So to say his best days are likely behind him is, is a fact. And for Clay Guida at 39 years old, he's got 21 career losses. That's you know, what you would definitely consider abnormal in the UFC. Could you could you name another guy with 21 losses at the top of your head? It's very few and far between, right? 
But yeah, I just it's hard to get a range of what this thing's going to look at. Santos should win the fight. Santos at his best wins this fight. When you look at his fights with uh, Anthony Rocco Martin, the fight with Kevin Lean, the fight with Stevie Ray, any of those fights, he wins this. His problem is he's got a very lackluster gas tank. He de- definitely tires out. The Adriano Martins fight he tired out. This Roman Bogatov fight, which is just the ugliest fight you've ever seen in your life. He does gas out, though. And then the Grant Dawson fight his last time out. I didn't think his striking looked terrible in the first two rounds. His problem is he doesn't throw no volume. He's still a jiu-jitsu guy at heart, even though his striking has come a long way. He doesn't have the volume. So he's relying on you taking him down. And in the case of Grant Dawson, when Grant Dawson would eventually take him down, yeah, I mean, uh, he didn't he didn't have it. You know, he didn't have the ability to just sub this guy within matters of seconds. It wasn't that easy. And then, unfortunately, he gets knocked out with, like, a second left on the clock. Actually, fortunately, because a lot of us had Grant Dawson and Grant Dawson inside the distance. But that was a tough fight to score. It felt like Grant Dawson was probably up 2 nothing going in, but I saw some media outlets having it 2 nothing for Santos going in. So they were close rounds, but his striking didn't look terrible in that fight. I think the way he matches up with Clay Guida is Clay... Clay likes to strike when he's having his way. When he's not having his way, he reverts back to what he does best, his best, which is his wrestling. Giving up the five inches, he's going to be getting chewed up from the outside against Santos. So it's going to be his due diligence to close the distance and try to wrangle this guy to the ground at some point. And but then when he does he's always that. had a propensity to leave his neck out there. Yeah. Like he's got three of his last five losses, I think, are by guillotine choke. He's got 10 career losses by way of submission. And it's just like a repetitive scene that's been happening to him time and time again. He's in another spot, though. If you were to live bet this, right, and it's 1-1 going into the third, I'm taking Clay Guido. He does have a better gas tank, and he's going to hustle him up in the third round. I just don't know for sure that, A, Clay makes it to the third. I think he gets caught somewhere in before that. And uh, beyond that, like, I, I don't know. I don't know what his path is. Drag him to the ground. He's giving up the grappling. And if he keeps it standing, he's going to give up the reach. And to be honest with you, I honestly think Santos will probably outstrike him. Outstrike him on the better strikes. Outstrike him on the cleaner stuff. But yeah, volume could be Clay Guida's, and you're right. In a small octagon where Clay Guida is a fan favorite, it's Las Vegas. If he just keeps this thing close and competitive, yeah, maybe maybe they do gift it to him. There's a lot of fights I like on this card. There's a lot of fights I'd like to bet on this card. Even though I'm taking Santos, he's a minus 180, and I feel like there's just so much better value on a lot of these underdogs that got legitimate chances than a 41-year-old guy who's looked like absolute shit two of his last three fights. I don't know. I, I, I'm not as sold on a minus 180 for Leo Santos. So he is going to be the official pick. I'm hoping he catches Clay Guid in a submission, but the confidence level is not where it should be. Yeah, that that's all, all in line. All right, moving on down. we got Jimmy Crute taking on Jamal Hill. Uh, minus 160 Crute, plus 140 Hill. Both of these guys, interestingly, in their last time out, basically their fights end, well, not even basically. I mean... Uh, both of both of their fights ended via injury, really, right? Crew could barely walk, and both, uh, frankly, both of them, I I walked away from them losing those fights with like with more respect for them, really. I'm like, these guys are gonna fight. Jamal Hill's damn arm is dangling all over the place, and he's still trying to use the other hand to to do uh, hammer fists and uh, and knock out Paul Craig. So, um, I mean, crew. I feel like there was some serious if he went in for the takedowns against against Anthony Smith there earlier on, I he could have definitely uh changed he didn't have to end up in that situation. It's because he decided to stand at range and, and eat those leg kicks that, that he ended up in that situation. So uh minus one sixty was one forty. I'm gonna lean towards Hill here, I think. Um, 
if he does get taken to the ground, his grappling looked good enough, or at least his heart looked good enough that he wasn't going to tap. Um, so hopefully he doesn't get injured if he gets down there, obviously, against a guy like Crew. But Paul, Paul Craig has, like, you know, real finishing ability with his submissions. I think he's just going to out-volume Crute uh, on the feet and plus 140. That is the side that I prefer. What about you? Yeah, I'm going to agree, actually. See, both guys let me down as well, and both of them had just lapses in ring IQ. They made two bonehead decisions. You already talked about Jimmy Crute's bonehead decision. Why, why not take this guy down? You are a grappler. I know you've been working on your striking, and uh, Sammy Greco's your kickboxing coach. It was pretty dope. Man, you have the natural advantage over Anthony Smith taking him down. Like, what do you what do you mess with him stand up? He's got a good jab, he's got a good light kick, and he's a long rangey guy. So him waiting too long, him allowing his light to get completely pulverized before he decides to take the path, the, the path of least resistance, bonehead decision. John Mahal Hill, meanwhile, he got he took down Paul Craig. He ends up on well, so Paul Craig pulls guard and he ends up on top of Paul Craig. But he got out of the initial armbar. And what do you do, Paul? You back out. You stand up. No, he re-engaged Paul Craig on the ground. He was like, oh, you want to try to break my arm? That's not going to happen. I'm going to out-grapple you. And then what Paul Craig proceed to do? Proceed to break his arm. So both guys, just they didn't go to the path of least resistance. Jamal Hill had just backed up, kept it standing. Jimmy Crute, don't keep it standing. Take it to the ground. So now you have a spot where, yeah, both guys can actually – have a path to victory to win this fight. Jimmy Crute with his ground game, Jamal Hill with his with his striking. Whose ring IQ is going to blow it? Which guy's going to go out there and actually make it work for themselves? And to that extent, I got to think that Jamal Hill pulls it together. He's just such a long rangey guy, six foot four, this weight class. You know, southpaw stance. He can be a switch striker if he wants, but he's got good hands. He's got a nasty body kick. You can tell that the kid's clearly confident in himself. And you're right. I mean, leg break or arm breaks. He's still trying to land hammer fist. He still goes out to the clear dancing afterwards. There's yeah, a lot that you can that like out of this guy. He had yeah, great picture. He just made a bonehead decision in there. And I think that he'd go back to the drawing board and, you know, kind of change that. Jimmy Crute, meanwhile, I think that was an ego thing. Like, oh, he, you're taking on Anthony Smith. He's a former title challenger. He's fought in all the best guys in the division. And you know what? To his credit, he, he's actually beat most of the good guys in the division. You, meanwhile, have beat Modestus Bukaukas, Michael Alexichuk, Sam Alvey. Not a win over Paul Craig. Give him that. Terrible fight, though. Well, entertaining, but my God, both guys gas quick. It's like it was a big jump up in competition, and I think instead of going out there and using the takedown, he decided to go out there and stand with him. If he's learned from that and he tries to take Hill down, it's not as easy as just taking him down. Like, Hill's a big boy. He's got decent takedown defense, and I honestly think Hill probably stuffs it. If he stuffs it and it stays standing, it's Hill's. If Crew comes in with a poor game plan of just not even pursuing those takedowns and trying to stand with him, then he's going to lose as well. So... I got to think that Hill edges him out. Um, again, this is a plus 140 Hill. This is a close fight. This is a fight that I would label probably as a dogger pass. I think both guys will have their moments. Both guys are capable of winning this fight. I think the, the most likely outcome, if you ran this as a simulated fight 100 times, is Hill keeps his fight standing and wins those striking exchanges. So I got to go with Jamal Hill, uh, plus 140. All right, moving on down, we've got the people's main event. What everyone showed up for, we got Brendan Allen oh, yeah. taking on Chris Curtis, minus 365 Brendan Allen, plus 280 Chris Curtis. I'm going to say quickly a few words, and then, I mean, nobody nobody came to hear what I think about a Chris Curtis fight when I've got the Chris Curtis whisperer on the line. Um, I think Brendan Allen's just a little bit too big for Chris Curtis. I think he's a rightful favorite. Maybe he's minus 365 is a little bit wide, but uh, Brendan Allen, t- 
taught me a lesson or two against Puna Soriano. I thought Soriano would cause him problems uh, on the feed. I thought maybe he would be able to mix in his wrestling. And Brendan Allen showed up and made made the job look pretty pretty easy, to be perfectly honest. I couldn't understand why people were betting on Brendan Allen, and I came away with egg on my face. So I think he's a rightful favorite. I'm not sure about the, the price of Brendan Allen at minus 365 being the biggest favorite on the card against the action man Chris Curtis coming off of a glorious, what, fourth line of Cody's parlays, making everybody all of the bucks. What a freaking legend Chris Curtis is. Um, yeah. Well, where are you at on this one? Because people, the people demand uh, a Cody Safdick, Chris Curtis forecast. Yeah, well, okay. First of all, it's a much tougher fight than last time against Phil Hawes. So, so we love Curtis, Chris Curtis. We love the action, man. We're going to back him. But, yeah, against Phil Hawes, this is a no-brainer. Phil Hawes is a terrible gas tank, a terrible chin, and he is going to get knocked out at some point in the 15 minutes, which is what happened. Brandon Allen, I think you can make a debate, you know, that he's got better durability, better cardio than Phil Hawes. And whereas Phil Hawes is a flat-out fraud, Brandon Allen isn't. He's young. He's getting a lot better. He's only 25 years old. And since he's moved over to Sanford MMA, you do see a lot of improvements out of him. Here's the thing, though, right? So when you look at the fight with Kwana Soriano, Soriano has eight career fights, right? Eight career fights. Very, very green. Whereas Chris Curtis has like 35 professional fights at the highest level. Puna Soriano had never really never been in any adversity. His fights had been... First round finish, first round finish, a fight with Jamie Pickett on the contender series, which in hindsight, he looked like shit in, right? Other than the first round, he tired out. And then a bunch of first round finishes. So he had never faced adversity. He's only got eight career fights. And we don't know that he, he can fight later into a round. He actually didn't look bad in the first round against Allen. What happened was in the second round, he gassed out. Once he gassed out, Allen took over. Allen still didn't finish him. By the way, Soriano may have had a wrestling advantage. He effectively shot zero takedowns. So Soriano fought a terrible game plan, and I'm not going to say he's fraudulent. He's just super green. So to look at that and say, well, gee, Soriano hits harder than Action Man. Action Man is so much more seasoned than him. He's not going anywhere. I don't think he's getting knocked out. He's got better firepower. He's going to be able to uh, carry that firepower throughout the course of three. He'd be a much tougher fight, I believe. So I think Action Man's going to have a better shot here. Um, when you look at Brendan Allen, he's supposed to fight Brad Tavares. Similar matchup to Chris Curtis. And then he gets Roman Delites. Not a, not a similar matchup in the slightest sense. And now he drops Chris Curtis. So on one hand, this is his third opponent change. On the other hand, Chris Curtis don't give a shit. He's fought every style. He'll fight any style. And he keeps coming on a short notice. The one thing that I will admittedly not like is... Curtis has fought at 170, 185, and 205. He is a welterweight. He has the frame of a welterweight. Mm-hmm. He's 5'8", five, 5'9", five, at best. The reach is he's the a same, though. Yeah, he's got a long-ass reach up. 75 and a half inch reach, they're I think. They're both 75. So I think he's got a half-inch reach advantage. Well, I, I, according to topology, they're both 75. But we're splitting, yeah. hair, splitting hairs at that point. <laughs> we're, we're, we're splitting hairs. We're splitting yeah. hairs. Right? I, I just looked. Fight metrics got them both four, at 75. Well. Four is height. They, they've yeah. actually got... Yeah, four is height. Five, his ten, his so. arms are very long. Five foot ten. Like, he's he's my height. But... Uh, he's, yeah. He's got a good he's got a good reach on him. It's that he's got the frame of a welterweight. And when you see him in there against Phil Hawes, Phil Hawes is a much bigger man. The problem is Phil Hawes is a fraud, right? So he chin checks him eventually. When you think about him versus Brandon Allen, Brandon Allen's going to be the much bigger guy. After the fight with Phil Hawes, they talk to Chris Curtis and they're like, Are you gonna stick around at 185? And he says, No. He says, No, I'm going back down to 170. I'm a welterweight. The thing is that the UFC is there's certain guys like James Curtis. James Curtis is a great example. Why does it, well, he just had an interview where he kind of explained it, but 
why does James Krause not get booked on fights? Why do you only see James Krause's name appear when the, they need somebody on 24 hours notice? He wants to fight. He's willing to fight. Joaquin Buckley called him out very publicly for a fight. Why not just book that? No, no, no. They only use the guy on 24 hours notice. It doesn't make sense. Those other guys are like, they're short notice specialists. That's what they're doing with Chris Curtis. They're just giving him short notice fights. The good thing here is that Chris Curtis has fought the majority of his career like that. So I don't think he minds. Now, the last time Brendan Allen was made to look like an absolute fool is when he fought Sean Strickland, where he stood in front of him and he absolutely got torn apart. Sean Strickland is the chief sparring partner and chief cornerman for Action Man, and he's going to be there. And it's this apex, and he's going to be ringside. And you've seen Sean Strickland interviews. He's not all there. He's just going to be talking a lot of shit oh, from yeah. cage side. Brendan Allen is going to have to listen to this outrageous amount of shit <laughs> while still having to fight Action Man. And from everything I've seen with Action Man on social media and whatnot, checking in where he's at, uh, great shape, fired up, ready to go, no injuries, and has just been working on boxing. Work the body, roast the body, come over the top. I think he's going to be in this. If he gets taken down, that would be the one frustrating thing. But his takedown defense is solid. And if he, Brendan Allen goes to a wrestling-heavy attack, then there's no guarantee that he won't tire the later the fight goes. The thing with Action Man is the more tired you get, the bigger problem you're going to have. He's a slow starter, but he keeps coming on like a tank engine. I'm going to admit, I did not think Phil Hawes should have been a favorite over him. Action Man should have been a money line favorite. They gave you three to one. It was the easiest thing in the world. This, I agree that Brandon Allen should be the favorite. However, 365 out of here. We're going Action Man. Action Man gets the job done. He's going to have another bad first round as he normally does. Got to take over in this thing late and uh, get either a late stoppage or make sure you seal two of the three rounds. Giddy on up. That's what the people wanted to hear. Um, like, what would you think the line should be on this? I would say because like, I'm Allen just trying to test. I'm trying to test yeah. your confidence levels. Like, you think yeah. they should be the favorite? What do you think it should be like? Minus minus, minus one fifty. Minus yeah, minus one. So like sixty forty type of split. Like Action Man wins forty percent of the time, type of thing. Yeah, Action Man, in my heart, Action Man going to go out there and do his damnedest. But yeah, yeah. it's only a three-round fight. Five-round would definitely favor Action Man. And he's probably going to drop the first round. He tends to drop first rounds. Even in the Phil Hawes so maybe fight, a better the live plan, bet. The plan was actually to drop the first round. Even talking to him afterwards, uh, he's like, oh, yeah, yeah. I'm not bigger than this guy. I'm not faster than this guy. I'm not stronger than this guy. So what was I supposed to do? Just attack him right off the bell and go punch for punch? He's like, I, I let him punch himself out for three minutes, and then I countered. It was like... What a beautiful game plan. But that's veteranship. That's experience. And I think that experience is what's going to carry you. Again, we're talking Brendan Allen should be a, a favorite. Why? Will he beat Soriano his last time out? Well, that's not really all that impressive. Will he beat Carl Roberson the time before that? Okay, all right. Well, that really wasn't all that impressive. And then he got smoked up by Sean Strickland. He's got good-looking wins on his record. Oh, Kevin Holland. There's a name a fan recognizes. Oh, Kyle Dokus. There's a name fans recognize, but it's all styles make fights. And where I do agree, Action Man would be better suited for 170 pounds. He's got good sprawl and brawl technique. He's got good wrestling, counter-wrestling. He keeps his fight standing. Brandon Allen punches himself out a little bit in the first round. Action Man's going to come on strong. The other thing is his body work is second to none in the UFC. This guy roasts the body. And believe me, from all this footage of him online, he plans on coming in here and roasting the body. So expect a tough first round, maybe even a better live betting odd. But I, I do think in my heart of hearts that He's going to chomp down on the mouthpiece and take care of business. All right. That's what the people wanted to hear. I'll be uh, betting Chris Curtis before this line adapts to the uh, the whisperer. 
uh, as the week goes on. All right, moving on down, we got Brian Barberina taking on Darian Weeks, minus 200 Barberina, plus 160 Weeks. This fight uh, just added yesterday, I believe. Yesterday being Tuesday, not when yesterday as opposed to when you are watching the show right now. Uh, watched a little bit of tape on Weeks. He looks a little bit stiff, rigid. But Barberina and like Barberina has not looked great in a long time. Um, I, I was trying to dig into Weeks. He kind of just looks like he's like a striker to me. I know that he's a blue belt at uh, 10th Planet of Jiu-Jitsu. I, I, was, I was creeping his Instagram a little bit. The stand-up, he looks like powerful. He's obviously young. He's developing. He looks a little bit rigid, stiff. But it's, I mean, I wish I knew that if Darren Weeks had a little bit of wrestling in his back pocket because Jason Witt, eight takedowns. Um, the previous fights to that, Barbarina, it, it, we've he's shown he's shown his hand at this point. The guy can't can't stop a take. Anthony Ivy Ivy got five takedowns against him. Like Brian Barbarino against Jason Witt too. It's like the the writing was on the wall. And I was on Brian Barbarina. I believe it was like plus one seventy five uh, by knockout. He was like a minus or he's like a three to one favorite. And round three he almost got there, but I mean a little bit too little, too late. Um, the guy, the guy's been a warrior. He's taken a lot of damage. I think his ability to absorb that damage is limited. He's never been the biggest at 170 pounds. Uh, obviously, he was getting ready to take on Matt Brown in this spot. But I'm just... I wish I knew more about this Darian Weeks guy rather than like the five minutes of tape I was able to watch on him. But I'm not so confident in laying the wood on Brian Barberina at this point in 2021. So, yeah, screw it. I'll, 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 for the purposes of the show, no bet, but uh, I'll take Darian Weeks to uh, pull the upset here. What about you? Dude, I actually agree. I think you could just spam bet any underdog in a spot against Brian Barberina. I think he's absolutely shot to bits. His best days are over, and there's a good argument his best days really weren't all that good to begin with. His wins, right? Joe Ellenberger, it's Jake's younger brother. He's got a rare blood disease, and I think he only fought in the U.S. He won their toys. Anyways, he's cut. That's the main thing. Sage North cut, cut. Worley Alves is actually still on the roster, although he's terrible. Uh, Joe Proctor's cut. Jake Ellenberger, the older brother, he's cut. Anthony Ivey's cut. So all the guys he's won have been classified as pretty bad, to be honest with you. And his losses, good guys, admirable performances. But it's it, the theme is that Brian Barberina takes a lot of damage. Whether he's able to persevere and take you out late, great. But he always takes a lot of damage. I think the first moment where you saw this was the Vicente Luque fight. He's in it, Paul. He's in a very competitive fight versus a guy who's being talked about as the next potential title challenger against a guy who's on everybody's top five rankings list at 170 pounds. He's in a close fight with him. Great fight with him. He took a lot of damage, and he got knocked out late in the third. Then the Randy Brown fight. I, I don't think anybody thought Randy Brown would come out there and beat him worse than Vincente Luque did, but it was the damage. He took an absolute tremendous beating from Randy Brown. I believe he was a... Minus 250 favorite over Randy Brown, and he gets knocked out. This is where things spiral out of control for him. He ends up having like a real bad back injury, has like double back surgery. He, according to him, he balloons up to like 240 pounds and is like, my career is done. A couple doctors tell him, your career is done. Comes back and beats Anthony Ivey. But first of all, he, it was a decision win over Anthony Ivey. Not like he looked all that good. It's just Anthony Ivey's the worst guy in the roster. Was the worst guy in the roster, right? Had a terrible run in the UFC. He barely greases by this guy, and then he gets this Jason Witt fight where he's a minus 270 favorite. 
Anybody can go back and watch the preview show that when we talked about Brian Barberina versus Jason Witt, all we did was detail how unbelievably shot to bits Brian Barberina is. His back's gone. His He's come down from 240, but his mobility's gone. His chin's gone. He is not the guy he used to be. And then he goes and loses as that minus 270 favorite over Jason Witt. Now, you're right. Uh, the wrestling was a huge part of it. Witt had have takedowns whenever he wanted. But Witt can't strike to save his life. He's super robotic. Like, he's so stiff. And yet, I mean, Brian Barberino almost knocked him out a few times as a result, but he landed some heavy shots of his own on Brian Barberino. Mixed in the wrestling, that was the easy path to victory. But the guy's not defensively sound, and it's not like he's getting defensively sound in the gym. He eats a lot of punches. His thing is he keeps coming forward. His body's broken to bits. His back is injured, and he doesn't have the chin that he used to. So they booked him against Matt Brown. Well, this is a perfect fight because Matt Brown's 42 years old, <laughs> has a really bad back. Like, I mean, Matt Brown's back might be worse than Brian Barberanis. And, you know, he's shot, but he's a fan favorite. This is going to be a fun fight. Could last one round, could last three rounds. Who knows? But at least they're kind of both on that same level. Fun. Now you lose Matt Brown and you get Darian Winks. Well, yeah, who the hell is Darian Winks? He's a one-in-one pro boxer. Like, okay. Blue belt in Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Okay. What about his wins, you know? Has he fought anybody near the level of a Vincente Luque? No. Has he fought anybody near the level of a of a Randy Brown now has he fought a bunch of Phil Ivy's yeah shit actually he's fought <laughs> worse guys than Phil Ivy so he's got no experience no the thing I'll admit though is Brian Barberena if he decides he wants to have some type of grinding war on him then this kid's gonna be open to land some shots does he put him down maybe could be like I said he was a former pro boxer he does show knockout victories on his on his record. That fight with Craig Fairley in LFA, you know, nice knockout. The problem is the dude's three and four. So that's that's the dilemma here is that Brian Barberena could take this fight down to the ground. He, he would win it there. Brian Barberena could grind him up against the cage. And what, is the pro boxer got 15 minutes of cardio? Do we think that this pro boxer can fight three full MMA rounds? No, he's going to get tired. If Brian grinds on him, if Brian takes him down, or if Brian makes it one of those bloody wars again, he could win in all those scenarios. But when they feed you Brian Barberena as a favorite, you always have to beware. And minus 200, not terrible against a guy that's it, taking the fight effectively on a few days' notice. Like, you should it just, just opened, keep in, in mind, this he's a disappointment at this point. He's just he's open to get to get beat. He's open to lose as a favorite. Oh, wow. And you can't just automatically write this Darian Weeks guy off. So oh, I will take Brian Barberena. I will. But, God, I, I really don't love it. I'm not going to. Okay, so I'm, I'm looking on... Uh... I'm looking on best fight odds right now, and yeah. someone just laid a hammer on. I, I mean, who knows what a hammer is in terms of max at Bet Bet Online right now? But he's down to minus. Barberina is down to minus one forty six there, plus one twenty six on weeks. So there you go. You're not going to get a better price than the plus one sixty. And frankly, most people listening to this show, the market's going to follow that. Um, the plus 160 that we're saying on the show right now is not going to exist by the time you watch this program. Um, so people are kind of, I guess, seeing the same thing. People are seeing, like, I'm not betting Brian Barberino to win 66% okay. of the time with a bro. The guy needs a bacchiotomy at this Lord. point. Absolutely. All right, we got uh, another another guy who has uh, been a big letdown for Mr. Cody Saptic um, not so long ago. Dusko Todorovic takes on Maki Patolo, minus 160 Todorovic, plus 140 for Maki Coconut Bombs Patolo. Who you got here, bud? 
Yeah, so I mean, Dusko is my Slavic brother. You know, we got to stick together. Even though I'm Croatian, he's Serbian. Our histories don't exactly line up. We were former Yugoslavians. And uh, yeah, no, water under the bridge. This guy's my guy. Unfortunately, he hasn't lived up to expectations. His Teddy Ash fight on Contender Series, Teddy Ash from Alberta, that should have been a walk in the park for Dusko, but he did actually take a lot of shots in that fight. Oh, well, it doesn't matter because he gets the win, right? He beats Daquan Townsend. That's it's a layup victory that you should be taking, but it, he knocks out Daquan, not the easiest thing in the world. So, you know, I guess there's this perception he's undefeated. He throws a lot of shots. The thing is, is that he's a massive defensive liability. He fights with his hands right by his hips, and he does not move his head. So it almost just seems like a question of when is somebody going to catch him. And while Soriano is that guy, he's got heavy hands. He's a first-round fighter. If Dusko could have potentially survived that first round, yeah, maybe, maybe you tire him. Maybe you take him some deeper waters, but... Everything that he got hit with was clean on the chin and rocked him. He was rocked multiple times in that fight until the referee, the referee eventually came in and stopped it. Officially, he gave up two knockdowns. But it was just like, again, huge defensive liability. Then this Gregory Rodriguez fight, Paul, it was much of the same. He doesn't move his head. He doesn't protect himself. And his stinging power on his own punch is not that great. His judo, not that great. His ground game, not that great. He's getting taken down by Rodriguez. He's getting outstruck. The Soriano fight, he was on skates from the first punch that landed, none of which is good. He will have a cardio advantage over Mackie Patolo, but Mackie's got quicker hands, sharper hands, better technical boxing. He's going to beat him to the punch. And when he beats him to the punch, they call him coconut bombs for a reason. He's going to rock Dusko up. When you look at Mackie's last two fights, okay, the Impa and Sanganai fight, God damn, he looked good in the first round. And then he completely gassed out second and third, lost the decision. The Julian Marquez fight. He's winning. He actually, yeah, he won the first two rounds. Mm-hmm. And then he gassed out and he got submitted in the third. So we know that cardio is most definitely an issue for him. But at 31, is this not something you could address a little bit? It is. And against Dusko Todorovic, if you can just beat him up two rounds, do you think he's going to finish you in the third? Probably not. So I got Maki, but I'm definitely looking at this thing from a live betting perspective. Is that if it's 1-1 going in the third, I, I don't know. I think that I might try to hedge out and go with Dusko. I'm just not sold on Maki's third-round abilities. But he's a cleaner technical boxer. This thing figures to be more, more of a stand-up battle. I think he's going to beat him with a punch. I think he could knock him out. But I think more than that, he's just going to earn his respect. And Dusko, meanwhile, he just he kind of seems a little bit half lost out there. So this is another live underdog opportunity, plus 140 on Maki Patolo. Yep, we're starting to get into the part of the card here where it's like I kind of was like I was looking at it and I was kind of like it almost feels like you could probably bet all of the underdogs and you may end up coming out ahead on the night. Or if you lose, like some of these, some of these people are some of these underdogs are coming through. Uh, I mean, let's hop right into this one. We got Jake Matthews taking on Jeremiah Wells minus one eighty Matthews plus one fifty five. For Jeremiah Wells, who, I mean, put on, had a hell of a UFC debut, taking on, uh, what's his face? Warley Alves. Warley Alves, and absolutely just boot stomped him. He's, he's, well, he's buddies with, like, with uh, Paul Felder, I believe. And, I mean, the guy is built. The guy hits hard, and he seemed ferocious from the opening bell in that fight. Like, Warley just didn't know what to do when that amount of fury was there. I'm actually kind of surprised Jake Matthews is minus 180 in this spot. Um, Cause we go back like all the way back to like the beginning of um, Akbar Areola back in 2015. 
Remember the head kick? Holy that shit. Areola landed, and, and, and yeah. Jake Matthews was like a minus 700 favorite there. It's like, this Wells kid, I think he hits a lot harder than uh, than Akbar Areola. Uh, you got Kevin Lee with a ground and pound finish over him. I mean, he's been rocked. The chin has been questionable. The cardio is average. He's kind of a prospect that just never really never really came into his own, in my opinion. He never really got to his peak. And a lot of that may be to blame with like his uh, with not wanting to leave like, you know, his family confines uh, for his training. Uh, Wells is obviously putting in work with some of Philly's finest, putting in work with Paul Felder on the regular. I think it's a dogger pass situation here. What about you? Yeah, not only is he working with Paul Felder, he's actually putting a lot of working with Sean Brady, who's mm-hmm. the last man that actually beat, beat Jake Matthews. Yep. So, yeah, no, it makes a lot of sense for sure. The one thing that I would say with Jeremiah Wells is he knew he was taking the fight with Warley Alves on, like, a day's notice. So he came out and fought a game plan. You, you It's not sustainable. He did win the fight. Don't get me wrong. He got the knockout 30 seconds in, but he, he gassed himself out going for the prize two. in the first round. Yeah, he, but he ga- he's gassed out in the first round, like, at, by the end of it. And then the second round, it's like, okay, Worley, who's got a bad gas tank himself, just survive the first couple of minutes. This guy's going to be tired. And then, boom, 30 seconds into the second round, he just drops him with a right hook and then gets on top of him and punches him out. When you look at his game, he's a he's a power grappler. He's got good jiu-jitsu, but he's a very physically strong guy. And I think all of that poses problem for Jake Matthews. Jake Matthews, um, again, you very much nailed this. He just never wanted to leave his confines of, of his small gym. His father is his head coach. His father is his head corner man. And he's never really made any improvements. When you look at, again, you got to look at, uh, oh, we'll start with, uh, Deshaun, Deshaun Johnson, right? Pro boxer, terrible fighter, by the way. And he's no longer with the UFC. Wagner Roca, no longer with the UFC. Lose to James Vick, who's no longer with the UFC. Akbar Theriola, no longer with the UFC. Johnny Case, no longer with the UFC. Kevin Lee just got released from the UFC. Andrew Holbrook, no longer with the UFC. Bojan Velkovic, no longer with the UFC. Jing Liang Lee's still there. What's up? Uh, Shinzo Anzai, no longer with the promotion. Anthony Rocco Martin just got arrested in a Vegas casino for pissing in the hallway. Uh, Roscombe Ackman is released. ML Weber Meek is released. Diego Sanchez is dying in, dying due to COVID, right, in a hospital. Still skeptical about getting that vaccine. And then Sean Brady absolutely blew the tits off him. So they like Jake Matthews. They've given Jake Matthews a ton of winnable fights. Sometimes he wins, sometimes he doesn't. But there's no marginal improvement out of him. His striking hasn't really gotten all that much better. His grappling, even though it's like, oh, he's a grappler, and at 170 now he's super muscular and he's strong, he's still getting easily outgrappled by Sean Brady. He got easily outgrappled by Anthony Rocco Martin. He was easily outgrappled by... There's just bad spots for him. Even that Holbrook fight. I'm pretty sure it's in Australia and he's a minus 500 favorite. Still loses at 155. All of it's bad news, man. He doesn't have any real finishing ability. Mostly seems to mostly just grind these guys by decision. And so how does he match up against Jeremiah Wells? Well, as far as the striking goes, I would want to give a slight advantage to Jake Matthews on like his technical ability, but Wells hits a lot harder. Wells has got power. Wells could just bum rush him and make this ugly. As far as the grappling goes, Wells is going to be able to, to hang with them. Cardio is the one edge I give to Jake Matthews. Jake Matthews does fight a lot of these decisions. So in theory, if he can just survive that first round, round and a half, Wells starts to tire, Jake Matthews ends up on top of him, 
you know, they score the second round for Matthews. It's one, one going in the third, as we've talked about lots so far in this preview show, I think Matthews probably digs deep and pulls it out. But again, when you look at the line, the line just doesn't make sense. Like there's, there's very little worlds that, that, that exists that I want to bet at minus 180 Jake Matthews. He's a letdown. He's fought subpar competition. He's not making any improvements. He's also only 27 Cody. Give him a chance. I gave him a chance over the last six years. There's nothing there. It's not getting better. So is Wells the beneficiary of one big win? Is he a fraud? But he smoked out Worley Alves, and so now we're going to give him the benefit of the doubt. It could be. We could be buying a little too much in a little too soon, but they're giving you an underdog price. Not like they're saying he's the minus 180, which I actually could have foresee that. that that's, a, that's a line that could exist. Jeremiah Wells is the favorite in this spot. Like, I'm not sure what makes Matthews the favorite other than experience. Experience is all he's got. And as we just talked about, a lot of those guys that he's experienced against not really cutting it. So come and take another shot. I'm going to take Jeremiah Wells, 155 underdog. Let's go. Sorry, plus 155 underdog. I actually see him out there on the market right now. Jeremiah Wells by KO slash TKO plus 550. Plus 550. Yeah. Well, I guess it's because Matthew's been knocked out the one time, but you're right, dude. Ariola had him this close to being separated from his consciousness. <laughs> And if we're worried about Wells gassing out, like maybe the better the better path is for him just to close them. I'm betting I'm betting it right now. It's only, it's only a little yeah. sprinkle, only a little sprinkle on the air here. But he's he's got a he's got a full camp this time too, doesn't he? Yeah. So I mean that's yeah. got that's gotta help a little that's, bit. He looked pretty damn good on a day's notice this last time. And I would think a full camp with Sean Brady, who just fought Michael Chiesa in a big spot, and it would be like, yeah, yeah, dude, I grapple you every day. I could tell you, once you hit the ground with this kid, you're going to be too strong for him. If that's the case, yeah, Wells. Wells is an underdog. Why not? Confirmed bet. Wells by KO plus 550. All right, Manel Cop takes on Zalgis Zhumagulov. Minus 250 Cop, plus 200 for Zalgis, who we got here. Well, yeah, I mean, this is uh, another one that could be greasy real quick. I don't agree with the pricing on no. it. You got Cop as a huge favorite, and I feel like the UFC's wanted to do that since the get-go. I mean, they paid a whole bunch of money for him. He was coming over. He was going to be a, a huge star. And the fact that he's even money against Alexander Pantoja, you know, a top flyweight in his first fight, showed that they had a lot of faith in him, just the odds makers, the fans, the promotion. The next fight with Matus Nikolaou, even though he shits the bet against Pantoja, fights just the worst fight you could possibly think of. Still a favorite over Matus Nikolaou. And then that last fight against Odie Osborne, I, I didn't think he looked all that good in the first round. He was looking better. And then he smashes him with a flying knee to the face. So how good is this guy really? He looked good in Japan when he was allowed to wear shoes and was fighting, you know, subpar Japanese competition in a ring. As far as being in the UFC goes, you can tell there's a whole lot of talent there. BJJ Brownbell, physically strong guy. The takedown's not the most technical, but he gets away with a lot of brute strength. Got some nasty counter punching, very precise puncher, and he's got big power in both hands. So there's stuff that you can like there, but there's no hes- there's no urgency. Sorry, it's just like him staring at his opponent a lot of the time. And that re- that leads to low striking numbers. Low striking numbers leads to the judges don't care for your style. And when you're looking at a guy who's minus two sixty, he's a minus two fifty favorite over Zalgas. It's like, I'd like to see him just do a little bit more. It's not that I don't think he can win. It's that you know, I've got to do a little bit more. So August, meanwhile, he at one time was an all-output guy. You know, it does take lulls off, but when he attacks you, he really goes out and attacks you. The problem is, is his first loss against Roley and Pava, I thought he won. 
but he allowed his opponents to lead the dance. His fight with Amir Albazi, he definitely did not win, but he allowed Albazi to lead the dance. Finally, against Jerome Rivera, he just went right at him. He dropped him with a right hand and then picked up this guillotine choke. But, you know, Jerome Rivera's 0-4 in the UFC for a reason, right? He's not an elite-level competitor. Well, as Manel Kopp is going to have superior footwork, superior speed. He's a good counterpuncher. Uh, he's going to keep the fight standing, I believe. Zalgas will be coming forward. He's going to play Matador. But I, I, for minus 250, this is a walk in the park. I don't necessarily think it's a walk in the park. Knocking out Zalgas, good luck, buddy. Good mm-hmm. luck. So you're going to have to fight him for 15 minutes. And if you fight him for 15 minutes and you're unwilling to land more than 30 or 40 significant strikes, it's going to get greasy. Exactly. Greasy. Don't like greasy. So You're going to leave it in the judge's hands, and who knows what happens when it's left in their hands. And it's, you know, one guy's landing the more pretty strikes, the, you know, maybe the more damaging strikes, but the other guy's in his face just pushing forward. I mean... It depends who the judges are, right? Yep. Some judges, you get one takedown. They love it. Some judges, the, the grinding factor. Some judges, oh, geez, this guy outlanded him 30 to 15, but it's like, yeah, but he got dropped. What, would it land a 30 strike? It's like, what? You don't know what they're looking at. So when I'm betting a guy that's minus 250, minus 300, I either want very strong possibility my guy's finishing the other guy, right? He's a three-to-one favorite. She should get the finish. Or this is a walk in the park all three rounds. This one, I can't say I agree with any of that. Yep. I agree with you on all fronts there. All right, moving on down, we got Cheyenne Vlismas taking on Mallory Martin. Cheyenne Vlismas, formerly Cheyenne Buys. This isn't the Maury Povich show. We're not going to get into what happened there. Who knows? That's her business. Um, but uh, she's not a Buys guy anymore. Minus 190 Vlismas plus 160 Mallory Martin. You got any hot leans on this one? I mean, I'm not betting. Um, a former she- uh, a former buys at minus 190 literally against just about anyone so it's gonna take a lot of convincing uh, yeah no where, listen where I, th- yeah I think I think you're on a, you know the accurate road here why would you want to bet at this price tag why would you want Cheyenne Vlisman's spies doesn't really matter um, yeah I mean does she have personal crap that she's going through could be could be personal stuff that she's dealing with beyond any of that though what concerns me is this article that she did on. Uh, I did not catch this article. No, no, yeah. It was on November 19th. So that's effectively what, 12 days ago? Mm-hmm. I'm still not 100%. Yeah, I'm still not 100%. Vlizma's told MMA Junkie Radio, my fight is now two weeks away. COVID attacked my lungs pretty good. So basically, I'm taking this fight, just trying to heal up and go out there and do my thing. Luckily, the UFC is working with me. I'm going to go see a doctor on Monday. I'm going to get an inhaler, taking all the breathing treatments I can do. This is definitely one of the craziest things I've ever done in my life, except this fight but I have all the confidence in myself to go out there and beat her ass and go home. I just have a terrible cough. I cannot breathe, but because of fighting, I've just been trying to train my lungs back. Blizman said, if I can get my lungs back, I'll be good to go. Basically what they called me for the fight with the fight being so close. And I'm still currently sick. I basically just told myself if this girl ran up to me on the streets right now, would I fight her? And I said, yes. Well, that's not surprising because she's crazy bitch. Okay? I'll meet you in the parking seen, lot. I'll, I'll follow you home, bitch. I'll follow you home. <laughs> like, that was the line. Right, right. So she's insane. We know she's insane. Yeah. And yeah, she'd fight her if she ran up on her. But the fact that this is two we're not and a half in a, weeks yeah, to prepare. We're not, we're not in the Target uh, parking lot here. Like this is this is the octagon. And your opponent is getting ready for a 15-minute fight. Yeah, I'm always ready to fight. I'm always ready to scrap. So for me, this is crazy. I don't know. Basically, I'm just trying to heal up. 
but this is the craziest thing I've ever done. So, so none of that inspires. I would like to go and bet this girl as a, she's a minus 190 favorite. Like, should she win? Honestly, she's a lot stronger than Mallory Martin. She stops the takedown. She ends up on top. She keeps the fight standing. She's a better striker. Yes, she probably should beat Mallory Martin. And I, I've pulled the trigger on a lot of underdogs. I can't say I'm going to pull the trigger on Mallory Martin. But That's how could that possibly inspire any no. type of confidence in you? It doesn't. In, in the women's strawweight division, where I know that <laughs> I know that uh, that Cheyenne is coming off of a a first round finish, but like first round finishes are very rare in this division. So you 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 have to trust in them to be able to fight fifteen minutes to secure victory most of the time. And yeah, it's November nineteenth is when that article was written. Like that's two weeks ago. It's two weeks ago. Now you factor in Mallory Martin is a BJJ Brown belt. She trains at uh, Elevation Fight Team in Colorado. Mm-hmm. So cardio is not going to be an issue for her. And if there was one Martin issue with live. Cheyenne Byers, right? Yeah, Vilsmas, it's like Montserrat Ruiz just threw the exact same head and arm choke over and over. Not head and arm choke, sorry. Head and arm throw. My baby, that was amazing. <laughs> yeah, you Great called that. Great day at the man. office. Great day at the office. You spammed a girl with a neck tat and it worked out just on like the basis of the same throw over and over again. Mm-hmm. Vice had no answer to it. And then her last fight with Gloria Padua. Come on, that's not exactly a super high level win. Like, so I wonder what Shane's doing goes in terms into of training waters, right now. Like did did I don't know. did what up what did what's his what's his what's her former husband's name? JP. Did JP leave the gym or something? Or like I, I saw her, like I looked on her Instagram uh for work purposes. Uh, <laughs> I, I was I was on there, and she's with like Ray Sefo in in Las Vegas. It seems like she's been putting in time at the gym, but uh, but yeah, I don't know who, who knows. But like, that's a lot of drama and stuff on top of having COVID, on top of all these other issues. So yeah, yep. I think you look you look to fade her uh, in the live markets is probably the best way to go about this. If you see her start to slow down. Hey, football fans, I'm sure we all love an action-packed, high-scoring NFL game, but with the latest no-brainer from DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL, you'll be a winner once a single point is scored. New customers who bet just $1 on any team to score can win $100 in free bets. It's that simple. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can still get in on the NFL action. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code DOP. Bet $1 on any team to score and win $100 in free bets. If they score, you score with promo code DOP this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NFL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, and Pennsylvania only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit, and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. All right, moving on down, we got Alonzo Menafield taking on William Knight. Minus 150 for Menafield, plus 130 for Thick Willie. Um... My God. I, I kind of probably assume that these guys would always take on each other at some point. <laughs> but here it is upon us. And I, I, I mean, I used to think that Knights had like a really, really decent, like underrated grappling game. 
up until the uh, up until the fight with Da Ong Jung, and well, you got taken down like eight times with like the exact same trip. It was very, or it was only three times. Either way, it was very, 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 very tilting <laughs> being on that side, and he seemed to have no answer for it whatsoever. Sorry, yes, he was taken down eight times. Memory had served me correct there. But, like, Menafield is, uh, he's made improvements. Obviously, he went three rounds against uh, uh, Ed Herman last time out. But I still think if, if, the, if the fight is at a half-decent pace, especially if you're able to secure some takedowns, put in that work early, I think he will falter down the stretch. So, again, I'm more interested in betting the underdog William Knight here at plus 130 than I am on uh, Lonzo Menafield uh, as the favorite. And it seems like the market has been moving that way. It was like plus 150 a day and a half ago when I had first made the boards, and it's moved down to plus 130. And it seems like it's kind of moving across the market right now. It's plus 120 in a lot of spots now um, as we record this podcast. So people are liking themselves some thick willy here. Do you? No, not at all. I don't, don't like, like William Knight in this. No, not in the slightest sense. Okay. I, I like a lot of the underdogs on this card. This is one I do not like That's fair. at all. So, again, when you look at Thick Willie Knight, it's like, oh, well, what does he do? Well, he's got that ground game, and he's got this, and he's got that. Listen, he's tiny for this weight class, and I know they got him listed at 5'10 with a 73-inch reach, but this is 205. Like, he's not going to get away with it forever. And you do see in a lot of these spots, he's just a much, much smaller guy. But so far, I just I don't know what there is to like out of him. Um, we saw him against Tafan Njaqui on the regional scene where Njaqui looked like a grappling wizard. That's a bad sight. The Cody Brunridge fight in contender series, Brunridge took him down, gassed himself out. He gets the win there. That's kind of the repetitive theme. Alexa Kamor, not a great fight. against not a great fighter. You know, he gets the victory. Dong Jung gets exposed in the takedown shirt. It's the Fabio Sharan fight I'd like to talk about, Paul. He looked like dog shit in that fight. He got backed up by Fabio Charant. He got easily punched up by Fabio Charant. He's losing the fight handily. He looks lost. He looks like he has no idea what to do. His wrestling is garbage. Mm -hmm. His striking is garbage. And then he closes his eyes and turns away. He's going to get knocked out probably within the next minute of the fight. He closes his eyes. He turns away. And he half cocks Fabio Charant. Falls over unconscious. So was it a lucky punch? I mean, his eyes were closed and he was looking away. So potentially, but... You know, it's a, it's a game of skill. It's a game of this and that. I, I get it. We'll give him the win. The problem is, is that he looked unbelievably terrible in that fight. And then, yes, Da Ong Jung took him down nine times. The exact same takedown. Outside trip. All nine times. Easy money. When you look at Alonzo Menafield, they threw him to the wolves, right? Because he knocked out Paul Craig. He knocked out Vinicius Moreira. He went 2-0 and on the contender series, knocking out both guys in the first round, including the last one, Deshaun Boatwright, eight seconds. He's huge. He's jacked. He's got power. We love him. So they throw him in too deep too soon. Now, let's talk about Devin Clark. Devin Clark's fought a lot of the better guys in the division. Devin Clark comes from a legitimate collegiate wrestling background, and he's a tough style for a lot of these 205ers because he's got big, thick legs. He can push you up against the cage, and he shoots for takedowns. He couldn't take down Alonzo Menafield for the first two rounds. Menafield is physically strong. In fact, Menafield kicked his ass in the first, swallowed his eyes shut, landed a nasty uppercut. The problem is, is the grind. The guy fights a lot of one-round fights. He's not used to going to the second or third. He's not used to fighting wrestlers. So I thought Clark fought an excellent game plan of grinding this guy. Now his next fight against OSP, he's so worried about gassing out, he fought very hesitant and then got knocked out with OSP signature left hook. So now he's a total write-off. Nobody likes this guy. But he's very green in his career still. He only had like 10 MMA fights. He's had a Fortis MMA, which is the top gym in Texas. They're high up on him. He's making improvements. Let's see how far he can take it. So he draws Fabio Chiron, 
and he walked right through him. He picked him up, he slammed him, he put him in a Von Prue choke, choked him out in a uh, minute and 11, easy money. And then he draws Ed Herman. Well, you know what? The Ed Herman fight, he put a, a full performance together. Why? Because it went 15 minutes. But I thought he looked good. He landed, I think, 94 significant strikes over the course of 15 minutes. 93 significant strike and a takedown over Ed Herman. So his cardio checked out. You can see the improvements that he's making. So how does William Knight match up against him? Well, William Knight would maybe have this wrestling event. He doesn't. William Knight's not going to take down Alonzo Menafield. Not in the first two rounds anyways. And by the third round, they're both going to be tired. So much muscle on these guys. As far as the striking goes, William Knight's not a good striker in the slightest sense of the world. So Menafield will back him up. He's going to taste Menafield's power. He's not going to like it. He's going to close his eyes and turn his head. Only this time, he's not going to clip the guy. The guy's going to clip him. So I think he's going to get knocked. Oh, I almost I almost dropped my first F-bomb, but nice I did. Nice, myself. nice, nice pull on that. I know. TV land, man. You're not allowed to swear on TV land. I dropped a couple of Bs. Bitch, I don't, know. I don't know. They never gave me anything about that. Just nah, F-bomb. So caught myself. But yeah, I think Menafield's going to put it on him. So he's only a minus 130. It's close to even money. Like you said, some money's rolling on, on Knight. I think this is dog city. I think every dog's got a shot. And of course, you know, Knight got a shot too. But what is his shot? Wrestling? I don't think so. Striking? I don't think so. Well, every wearing, other underdog wearing, he's back has got a path of maybe victory. Maybe cage right? control, slowing yeah, yeah, down Menafield, and then winning close <laughs> rounds with like, you know, 12 to 7 strikes landed like he's got that's a, fair he's got a but he's got to win an ugly one if he's gonna win one when you Menifee. when you see when you see knight it's like oh my god dude 510 73 inch reach guy's thick when you see menafield it's like oh six foot 76 inch reach like he's a big boy he's yeah. a big strong boy he used to play football like god i, I think that they if they if, if Actually, <laughs> you know actually what? I don't know if for you, sure. If, if you coached used to be a high school fat. program, if you coached a high school football program in the United States and you saw one of these guys walking down the hallway, would you you would not be a good coach if you didn't try to recruit them. Of course. For sure, they played some type of sports. But now they're MMA fighters. Who's the better MMA fighter? I would say Knight's got that experience and that he, he had fought on the regional scene. He had fought you know some decent guys, whereas – Menafield just walked through everybody. He never faced any adversity. You saw him face adversity. You've seen him come back in his last two fights. And honestly, when you see progression of a fighter, okay, there's still stuff that they can improve on. Knight's Knight. He is who he is. Thick Willie. Thick Willie. I just don't think he's in for a great night on Saturday. So I will be taking the favor on this spot. I got uh, Alonzo Menafield. All right. I have no idea what to think about this next one, but I rarely do when it's, I mean, usually it's a fade and. I uh, ended up paying the price with Chris Grutzmacher last time out when he beat uh, Hafa Garcia. Definitely it was Hafa Garcia that showed up that day. Minus 110. Claudio Puelas can be had for minus 110. Straight pick him. You got a hard lean on this one or I don't know. There's 15 fights on the card. So this is like, I don't know what to do with Grutzmacher after looking so good in his Like that was a career best performance from him. And I really wasn't expecting to see it. So I, I feel kind of lost with him. Uh, what about you? Yeah, well, I, I got to agree. I think both guys have actually cost me money in their last two fights because you got Cody Puelas. He pulled off an underdog win over Jordan Levitt, who I thought was way better than he ended up being. And then you got Chris Grutzmacher, who just backed up Rafa Garcia and beat the crap out of him. But which one was more impressive? Jordan Levitt did absolutely nothing. It was a terrible fight, and he mm-hmm. cast out. Claudio Puelas benefited from that. Chris Grutzmacher earned every inch of his win. He, he you know, faced a little adversity in the first round. He's got cardio that's very difficult to replicate. You know, he just he keeps coming the entire time. 15 minutes on you the entire time. 
his striking is definitely unorthodox. He works the body a lot. He tires you out. But it's his ability to just keep pressuring and staying in your face. So how do you beat this guy? You need to put him away. You need to knock him out. You need to take him down, him. submit him, or you need to knock him out. <clears throat> if you don't, he is going to continue to walk you down and put a beating on you. His fight with Joe Lozon was beautiful work. And then he yep. got knocked out with Alexander Hernandez and took some time off. So there's he's that fighting alone, a much but... higher level of competition in fairness. Like much, you look much, through his, much, much he's higher. losing to Hernandez, Dave, Davi Ramos, Chas Skelly. Uh, he did lose to the goat uh, on the, uh, the ultimate blow, fighter. but uh, you know, the goat's going to do go things, but, but yeah, he is fighting a much, much higher level of competition in his fights. But yeah, well, I remember him from Show Fight 20. As back in 2012, he fought Roy Delgado. Roy Delgado was a UFC veteran. And then he fought John Gunderson, who's actually also a UFC veteran. And then he got on the Ultimate Fighter. And since then, he's been fighting at least guys at this level, right? They've thrown him to a couple difficult spots. He's persevered. His loss is Chas Skelly, grappler. Dobby Ramos, ADCC competitor, very good grappler. And Alexander Hernandez, kind of a generalist, but at his best can do everything well. Claudio Puelas, meanwhile, again, he's another one of these guys that's scraping up wins, but looks awful. His debut was just, uh, I thought it was the finals of Ultimate Fighter. He takes on Martin Bravo. He gets knocked out. Looks terrible. His fight against Felipe Silva, I watched it at your place, your old basement apartment in Toronto, and uh, just the most frustrating thing of all time. He gets 10-8 in both of the first two rounds. He looks awful. He's the worst guy in the roster. Dana is going to cut this man, and he rolls into a knee bar with like a couple minutes left in the fight and Felipe Silva either bet against himself. I don't know. Just tap most coward thing I've ever seen taps terrible, but that's a terrible performance where he squeaks out a win over a guy who's no longer with the promotion. Fair. Marcos Mariano. That, that was Anderson Silva's buddy. Remember him? They brought him in to lose to Lando Venata and then thought, geez, who's the worst guy we can possibly give you. It was Puelas when he beat him by decision, not a good look. And then that Jordan Leavitt's fight, go back and watch it. So the first round, he looks terrible. He loses. Jordan Leavitt outstrikes him 12 to three, takes him down. It's the second and the third round. Leavitt's just gasses out. Why? Because he's a one-dimensional jiu-jitsu guy who's very young, who has no experience in this sport. Those are the kind that's going to catch up to you. Chris Grutzmacher is a 20-fight veteran who has cardio for days, who's not going anywhere. That is the complete opposite of Leavitt. And I think he's just going to march down Puelas, put a beating on him. I hope he knocks him out, but I can see the him grits. just beating on him for, for 15 full minutes. So it's minus 110 both both sides. Puelas' path to victory is got to get the fight to the ground. Get the fight to the ground and use your grappling. You stand up, a whole lot of trouble. If you take him down, you grapple with him, you could have some success. But even if that's the path, Grits is going to keep working. He's going to keep going. You're going to have to outgrapple him for the entire fight, or he's going to he's going to have his moments. And I think he's going to have his moments. So... Give me a Chris Chris Grootsmacher, but you're right. Both guys, not the most trustworthy. This thing could theoretically go anyway, but it's minus 110. You got to have a, a pony on one side or the other, so we're going to go with Grootsmacher. I mean, in, in, in Grootsmacher's defense, I mean, Alexander Hernandez, a legitimately good prospect. Yeah. Um, Davi Ram, it took until round three. Took until round three with a, a guy like... Davi Ramos to get the finish. Chaz Skelly, rear naked choke round two. Still round two. It's like, I, I don't think P P Puelas' grappling is on the level of either one of those guys. Um, and his ability to get it to the mat is definitely not on Chaz Skelly's level in terms of, you know, the collegiate wrestling background that Chaz Skelly has. What has Chaz Skelly been up to recently? He had a fight actually just pulled out the other day. Yeah, so, he was supposed yeah, to fight Trezano. Trezano. He was supposed to fight Trezano, and then he pulled out. He's fighting Mark Striegel. Remember that guy? 
yeah, of course. The he was Striegler. Like the Southeast Asian, you know, top prospect. And then yeah. he's never really did pan out. But well, he hasn't really had um, too many. I mean, he took on Saeed Nurmagomedov in the UFC, and that's been his only fight. So, I mean, tough, tough, uh, tough first time on the show. Um, but yeah, um, what was I going to say there? Yeah, Striegel. He's taking on Chas Kelly next time. That's not until February, so I'm sure it'll probably be canceled uh, long before that. So there's no point <laughs> in us talking about it right now. Moving on down, we got Azmat Mirzakhanov taking on uh, Jared Vandera. Minus 225 can be had for uh, Azmat Mirzakhanov. And a plus 175 is the, uh, is the comeback on Jared Vandera. I think this is... One, I thought, I, I think uh, Mirzakhanov definitely not a quote unquote prospect, thirty five years old. I think he looks very, very skilled. As I mean, his his fight on the Contender series, rewatched that this morning, and uh, man, it was vicious. Once he once he got the fight, uh, I mean, when he landed the kill shot, he went in and uh, absolutely took care of business against Mateus Scheifel. Um, he was like a five to one favorite there. He was supposed to win and he came through it. Good on him. The big problem here though, is he's supposed to take on Marcin Pracknell. He's supposed to take on Philippe Lins. And both of those fights were supposed to be taking place at 205 pounds. Clearly he wants to probably get onto a card before the end of the year, make some cheddar, cheddar makes it better, pay off some Christmas bills or whatever the hell you're doing out in, uh, where is he from? Nelchik, Russia. You know, he's got bills to pay out in Um He's 205 pounds. He fought on the Contender Series at 205 pounds. Jared Vanderob, I mean, if we're going skill for skill here, Osmot's got him covered all day. Problem is, he's probably going to be giving up a good 40 pounds here to Jared Vanderob, who comes in at the heavyweight limit. So, I am very, very, very... Uh, nervous about Ajmat here. He's given, I think this is going to be one of those ones too. It's like when people, when the casual eyes or some people who have, don't dig too deeply into this, when they actually see these guys standing next to each other on the scales, I think this is going to become even tighter and tighter because Jared Vandera is a true heavyweight in terms of size. And Mirzakhanov, 5'10", 71 inch reach, 205 pounds. Like he's probably got like a middleweight frame if we're being if we're being completely honest with you so i think it's a tough spot for him i think he's super talented he's got a lot more skills than jared vanderab but uh, size matters in mma so it makes me a little bit nervous so i'll lean towards the underdog here don't love it but um i think the size will be a big problem for asmat here what about you yeah, I'm mean, gonna I have to agree. I think uh, it's definitely gonna pose him problems. Like, how could it not? He's given up like eight and eight re- uh, inches in the reach apartment. He's given up an easy forty pounds. Oh, we'll see when they eventually hit the scales. But yeah, I would say there's a lot of things that are going against him. But I mean, why why would you accept a fight like this? Why would they offer weird, you a couple two o fivers and then say you want to fight a heavyweight and you'd accept it? Like, it's a weird, it's a weird fight to come together. But I think it's because. Asmarad, he don't care. He'll take anything. When you look at his record, he shows a noble win over Andre Muniz, who's a badass, knocks him out 50 seconds. But let's talk about this Brave 29, right? He fights Guto Innocent. Well, Guto Innocent weighs 250. In fact, he just fought a couple weeks ago. He weighed in at 262. He's That's an open, open weight, weight fight. Yeah. yeah, and it's a one-night tournament because he fights Mohammed Fakhardine right afterward. I did not swear there. 
Fokderine was his last name. So uh, he, he fights in a one-night open-weight tournament. The guy just did not care. And then he gets on the contender series where he absolutely kills Matu Scheffel. So he looked decent. He looked like a good prospect. And the thing with Russia is this guy's actually just not lying. He's actually just being honest. I'm 35 <laughs> years old. Normally, they'd say, I'm 28 yeah, years be old. 29, say, 29 with a bald a spot and, uh, yeah, and <laughs> oh, a bad back. Oh. How many times have we seen that, Paul? A zillion times. So I, I'm going to say, you know what, he is 35 years old, sure. But he hasn't taken a whole lot of damage. He's only got 10 career fights under his belt. He clearly doesn't mind fighting up at heavyweight. When you see his striking style, I think him and Vandera could be competitive striking. I, I, I do believe that could be the case. Because Vandera's got the reach advantage. He's a bigger guy. And I'll give him credit. He moves well for a big man. You saw that in the Justin Toffa fight. He had good volume, mm-hmm. good cardio, decent footwork. He's not completely a fish out of water. Where he is a fish out of water is on the ground. He seemingly can't stuff a takedown. And when Spivak got him down, it was easy money. Sure. And when Romanov got him down, it was easy money. And that's what people aren't seeing with Murkanov. He can wrestle. And he's from K-Dojo Warrior Tribe which is, has some of the scariest Russian prospects but, that first came over to America. But when you're wrestling giving up and you're giving pounds. up 40 pounds, that's exhausting. Exhausting and yeah, very yeah, difficult right. Very difficult right. to muscle people around. Like We see this tale over and over with guys trying to jump up weight class with a wrestling base, and it's just, it's just bad business, especially at minus 225. Yeah, that's fair. And, I mean, he shows one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight of his ten wins are by first-round finish. Mm-hmm. Only been to decision twice. None of that looks good. I agree. And if you want to spam bet all the underdogs, another good shot here. And if you want to talk about odds, I think that the value side is Vandra. But I think I'm going to take Merzikana. I know it sounds crazy in the weight and this and that. His camp would know. He's 35. He's undefeated. This is his UFC debut. You don't just put yourself in a bad position. You don't just take a heavyweight fight. They would have looked at Jared and said, this guy is shit. Yeah, we will take this him. fight. Yeah, yeah. And we're we're that's training why with a better guy this. in the room on a daily basis who's around his size. Yeah, so I, I, yeah, and also this is weird, right? He's weighed in all of his fights at 205, other than the open weight fight, which he never stepped on the scale because it really wouldn't have mattered. But fight metric has him listed as 225. Like, where, where did they get to 225 from? Like, how do we even know what he's going to weigh in at? I, I don't know. But I just got a feeling that they know what they're doing. And with Vandera, we're not betting him. Like, this guy's good. We're betting him because this he's guy's big. big. That's, yeah. not, that's not enough for me. He's not enough for that's me. Fair. So I got to go with the Russia. All right. Alex Morono takes on Mickey Gall. Minus 220 Morono. Plus 180 Gall. Who you got here? Well, this is another one that's going to be uh, tightly contested, I think. And I, I just, I don't know. I think you can make a good debate for both sides. My, me, myself, personally, I find myself kind of jumping around back and forth. I think what it comes down to is Mickey Gall. It comes down to Mickey Gall and the improvements that he's made. Mm-hmm. Because they threw him to the Wolves a little bit early. I mean, I know he had the whole, he's fighting the CM Punks and the Mike Jacksons of the world. But his losses are to Randy Brown, who's doing really well in the division. Diego Sanchez, come on. The guy was the ultimate fighter one winner. He's got 40 pro fights, like kind of fight is this for a guy who's five and one doesn't make any sense and then mike perry kind of a strange one but again i think it goes back to he's six and two like he's got no experience under his belt and yet they're giving him these tough fights every time out so i look at the jordan williams fight i i bet him as the underdog there was he the underdog yeah he's a plus 145 underdog Mm -hmm. bet him as the underdog pure narrative pure narrative was that mickey gall is a decent grappler we know he's a bjj brown belt I don't think he's got his black belt yet, but a BJJ Brown belt. His striking's improved. It looked good against Mike Perry early till he tired. It looked good against Diego Sanchez early till he got tired. 
cardio seems to be an issue for him. But if he shores up the cardio and he can take the fight down consistently, he'll be a problem. And sure enough, he just takes Jordan down, Williams down. He outstruck him standing. He got him down. He submitted him with a rear naked choke. Flawless victory. Only one thing it was as a first round finish. So I, I still uncertain if this guy can fight two or three rounds. Mm-hmm. Alex Morono, meanwhile, can definitely fight two or three rounds. Even when he gets tired, he keeps chucking. The problem is that he's super sloppy. And whereas that he's also a BJJ black belt, he's not really all that good off his back. And his takedown defense is a little bit suspect. So I think Gall could have success early in the fight, taking him down, controlling him, trying to work him over a little bit. I think Gall could have success early in the fight standing. Whereas this guy's going to chuck loopy bombs. He's going to be uh, longer, more linear, better jab, straight right hand down the middle. It's the longer the fight progresses, that's a problem. Does Mickey Gall finish Alex Morona? I don't think so. I don't think he's got the punching power to knock him out. I don't think he's got the submission game to submit him. Um, you'd have to beat him for 15 minutes, which is just way easier said than done because it's going to get greasy and it's going to go into deeper waters. Morona's been into greasy deep waters and he's been okay. And Mickey Gall tends to falter when it gets to that point. So... Just what way does this go? The narrative is be if Gall shored up his take his takedown deep, not his takedown defense, but his cardio, he he'd be okay. It's just looking at the line, right? You got a plus 180 on Mickey Gall. He just scored for me as an underdog. I do think he's making improvements. I think he's just taking on some tough spots. But every time he loses one of these tough spots, he gets the experience from it. He improves a little bit. Morono, meanwhile, nah, he's been in tough spots. He's been in good spots, but he's Alex Morono. He's the same version of himself every time out. I think if you're smart, if you're at home right now and you're looking for some advice, I think the smart move would probably take Alex Morono. I don't always take the smart move. And for that reason, I think that Mickey Gall is another one of these live underdogs. He's just got to be able to continue it for two of the three rounds. Even if he can just win the first two, he's, he himself is not likely going to get finished by Alex Morono in the third. So this really comes down to cardio. Morono has the better cardio. Gall's got, I believe, the slightly, I don't even say better skill. You could go back and forth on this one for sure. I do get the gut impression, though, that Mickey Gall pulls it through. So I will very tentatively go with Mickey Gall. Can't say I love it, but it's another underdog shot. Mickey was training with Matt Brown leading up to his last fight. and I I don't know. I've just kind of been going through his Instagram as you were talking there. And it doesn't really look... I know that Matt Brown was obviously supposed to be on this card, and the fight was obviously pulled off because he tested positive for COVID as of literally a week ago doesn't really seem like they've been in the gym together. So I'm not really sure, you know, where each one of these guys, because I think that was probably a good little, you know, one guy probably has to work on his grappling and the other guy has to work on his stand-up. I thought that was a, a nice little little matchup between the two of them, a nice little training partner um, for these guys. I, did, I, did, I can't really get it. I, don't, I have no idea who the guys that Mickey Gall is posting with. Uh, leading up to this fight so i don't well, know i'll give you i'll give you one thing about gall though so when he started out he was at gracie uh yeah it was the gracie academy in new jersey and then he left the gracie gym in new jersey and went to miller brothers with uh, dan and jim miller in new jersey then he left there and he went to tristar in montreal back in and then he left there and went to american top team and then he left there he's just he was a gym jump he's a gym jumping bitch and he wasn't <laughs> making any drastic improvements but again you see him, he's 29 now. He seems to be like a lot more in his skin. There used to be a thing where they wanted to call out every time. So he beat Sage Northcutt and he called out Dan Hardy. It was like, get out of here, man. I don't like this guy, but I'll give him his dues. He goes out, he accepts fights, he makes improvements. I think he's anchored down now. And I actually just saw, he just got awarded his black belt uh, in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu under uh, David Adif, who is a stud. So his Jiu-Jitsu is solid. It's tight, mm-hmm. it's good. His cardio is going to be an issue. 
I'm hoping, I'm hoping he shorted up. But yeah, I mean, listen, a lot of guys don't like betting on narratives. This is strictly narrative. So I don't know. Maybe if you're going to pass, if your book doesn't allow anything, they don't, they don't take uh, 15 fight parlays. They take 12s, right? This is if one you don't you even want to part. Yeah, right. This is a pass. You're going to pass on this. I wouldn't call it a cranberry sauce fight. No, because I'm interested in it. I am, I am in, but uh, I don't know. I love it from a betting perspective. No, nah, Vlismas versus Martin is the cranberry sauce fight. <laughs> let's let's call a spade a spade. I, I see. I know cranberry sauce when I see it. And finally, we got Louis Smoka taking on Vince Morales minus one forty five Smoka plus one twenty five Morales. The question with Smoka is, can he keep the pace? That's always kind of been the problem with him. Is the pace is super super high? People love him for DraftKings. But usually when you get into round two, he starts to fall off of a cliff. He, he sets a pace that is that he typically really can't keep. Um, Vince Morales, I have not been all that impressed with along the way. Um, showed that he wasn't able to defend leg kicks when he took on Chris Gutierrez. Um, I don't know. I feel like has Smoka turned the corner? I know this is all narrative stuff, but has he finally turned the corner here? Is he... Gotten the the drinking and everything like that worked out. It looks like he's a family man when I go through his Instagram now. See a lot of smiles, birthday cakes, that type of thing. Hopefully he's got it together because I think he's a pretty talented guy. Um, the grappling is super, super slick. I'm going to go with Smolka here. Um, uh, hopefully he can get the fight to the mat and, and style from top. Uh, on the feet, I think it's obviously going to be super, super competitive. And Smolka doesn't exactly have any sort of dynamic power on the feet that is going to cause Vince Morales any sort of problems. So definitely have to get it to the map, but smoke is the pick for me. What about you? Yeah. Yeah. Same, same boat. I'm going to go with Lewis Smolka. Um, and you look at Smolka's last fight against, uh, what was his name? Um, Quinones, Michelle Quinones, Jose Alberto Quinones. Dude, he looked awesome. I thought he looked really good. His striking <laughs> looked good. His wrestling, not great. It's never been great, but I mean, he's really good at capitalizing on bad scrambles. So when Quinones would shoot a bad takedown, he'd be able to capitalize, take him down. And when he's on the ground, you're right. This dude floats. He's got excellent hips. Him at his best would probably be, geez, it's going back a while now, but that Ben Nguyen fight, like he just floated on him effortlessly and beat his face in. It was solid, solid work. Losses, Brendan Moreno. Oh shit, he's the current champion. Ray Borg. Oh, he was the title challenger. Tim Elliott, oh, he's a title challenger. Matus Nicolau, oh, he's a top five guy in this division. Matt Schnell, he was drinking. He had a bad drinking problem at the time. Casey Kinney, he's a top guy in the, in the division. So you can make excuses that he loses to pretty much elite-level competitors, and when he's sober and he's clean living, he's got legitimate talent. Mm-hmm. How he matches up against Vince Morales, striking's kind of even. It's kind of par. Like, I would give slight volume advantage to uh, Smolka. Smolka has this – we have this perception of him that he's tall with a long reach, but he's only got a 68-inch reach. So it's been um, the, the exact same as uh, as Vince, even though he's... Well, he, they, I think they got him given up two inches in the reach department, despite being I mean, two Topology, they got half an inch. 68 and a half for Smolka. Topology is definitely wrong. Yeah, tap, topology, topology is, is definitely wrong. wrong? Oh, shots fired oh, yeah, at Topology. Sure. Well, well, I love who topology, do you think has the, the most... Uh, most Credible what, height and reaches? What, you think it's UFC stats? 68 yeah, yeah for sure for sure 70. for sure okay stats. so vince... ufc stats they they take the direct numbers from the ufc and the ufc is the one that's measuring it topology okay. allows you to write in your own information so any fighter can go so in why and would take morales care of his own... short change his own reach on his own account 
Because how does he even know what his reach is? Did he sit in his living room with a tape measure? And, he should have wrote and, and, in rather than write in sixty eight, write in sixty nine for the lulls. Yeah, that's that's true. Like, but that's at the same bad, time, right? What behavior. what what kind of guy? What kind of guy who's five six would say he's five six and wouldn't say he's five seven? five eight right it's like uh it's like a confidence thing i don't know what it is i really don't smolko's always had a short reach always 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 had a short reach we have this idea that he's got a long reach because he's a tall lanky guy but he has a short ass reach morales meanwhile is a slightly shorter guy has a couple inches doesn't matter what i'm thinking is the striking is probably going to be even it's probably going to be par um maybe slight power advantage goes to morales slight better jab goes towards Lewis Smolka. The ground game is the key here. Smolka gets the fight to the ground. He's going to win it, but his wrestling is not all that good. And in fact, I don't really think it's good enough to take down Vince Morales. So you got a tight, greasy fight here. If for whatever reason hit the ground, it'd be Smolka. So that's a advantage. And as far as the striking being close and competitive, I just don't really like Vince Morales all that much. Whereas Smolka you make as, Oh geez, Casey Kinney. Yeah. Dope. Schnell. Okay. Yeah, Sure the Nicolas and the Tim Elliott's and the Ray Borgs and the Brandon Moreno's and even headlining a card in Ireland against Patty Holohan. That's all, that's all good stuff. Vince Morales, meanwhile, has fought pretty much bottom of the barrel. Like Draco Rodriguez is terrible. I believe he's released from the promotion now. And it's not a very good fight. Chris Gutierrez is, is good. And he just chewed right through him. The Benito Lopez fight is close, but again, there's just not enough urgency out of him. Mm-hmm. The hobby fight was terrible. The Song Yudong fight, he got chewed up. It's a lot like he's just a warm body. He's just a warm body in there. He'll allow you to lead the dance, and he'll try to keep up with you. Pace is similar. I just feel like Smoke is going to win it outright in the end. So if you're looking for another fight to pass on, this might be it. But I, but I do think that Lewis Smolka is the rightful favorite, and I do think this is a spot where the, the favorite does win. All right. Uh, just a little bit of housekeeping here. Juan, did you see Bryce Mitchell's rap or mixtape? I did not see it. I heard and not hear it, but I just I just saw something that was like, oh, Bryce Mitchell stakes claim for best rapper in the UFC. I didn't know anybody was Brian Kelleher apparently believes he's the best rapper in the UFC. <clears throat> Rap's not really my thing. Shit rap is definitely not my thing. So I haven't heard it, but my assumption is that it's a shit rap song. So um, yeah. Kevin Casey's the best rapper in MMA. We all know that. It's definitely not Tyron Woodley. I think I think Tyron Woodley is the worst rapper in MMA. I think Bryce is getting a lot of credit because he's better than Woodley. But if if anybody actually wants to look it up, um, and you should look up look at it afterwards. Cole Beasley, the uh, slot receiver for the Buffalo. No, oh yeah, yeah, slot receiver for the Buff for my Buffalo Bills. He plays for the Bills now. He used to play for the Cowboys. Amazing rapper. Is he actually like? uh, I'll send you the link and you can check this out after the uh, after the show cole beasley is like the goat amazing amazing like shockingly shockingly good i i would never have expected it but uh very you know very excellent <laughs> rapper uh, I, just, I just brought up bryce mitchell uh rap song it's called darkensaw <laughs> darkensaw i listen you know what the lyrics the lyrics are actually pretty good i don't know if it's yeah, like good for him like man. the lyrics are actually it's very very mma related um a lot of the references it would work a lot better if you're an mma fan i'm sure someone who's not an mma fan probably looks at it and they go like what the hell is this like it's just bad rap but i thought he did a good job on the actual writing of it like listening to the words i was like ah, you know that's pretty creative i like what he did there i'm no expert on the matter either but uh I, I, i think his voice is just you know, he just doesn't have, he just doesn't have it, you know? 
Like you can tell Ooh. it's Bryce Mitchell rapping. You know, it's not like, oh, this guy's just such a good rapper that all of a sudden, like, that southern twang has disappeared. No, it's like you can tell you 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 know who's talking when it when it's Bryce Rich Mitchell rapping. Um, yeah. yeah. I just Cold skimmed Beasley. through it, listened to it a little bit. It sounds like nine guys I got on my Facebook who uh, do the same thing, old Spotify. I actually booked a rapper for an MMA fight right that one time, and the commission called it off. Oh, shit. I know. The guy's name is T.G. Savage. Also goes by, well, I don't want to say T.G. Savage, Terry Grant. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he's got a triple X tattoo behind his neck. Like, <laughs> Who thought that would be a good idea? um yeah yeah i don't know i don't know if you want to hear the story or not but uh Go yeah i don't it. know rap and mma oh okay so sorry i was just this guy's... Uh, the, the reason why it seems like i'm not painting i was just right i was pasting You're this to link to, to you no not listening nasty. to it just sending you the cole beasley for after afterwards you got to listen to it <laughs> okay so i I'm matchmaking a amateur card one time, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, basically, UFC gym just opens up in Mississauga. It's UFC gym, right? And they're like, oh, you guys come here. You can do your weigh-ins here. You can do anything you want here, promotional stuff. We're bringing in Michael Bisbing for some big grand opening. So we're like, you know what? Sweet. We'll we'll do our weigh-ins over this UFC gym shirt. So I drop in a few times. I meet this guy, Terry Grant. Mind you, his name is Brian Burbage? Brian Burbage? Ubanich is his name is not Terry Grant, right? So I see him hitting the bag. He's got a triple X tattoo across his neck, right? That in itself, it's like, oh my God, who would think that's a good idea? But all the same, I talked to him. Yeah, he'd like to have a fight, but he's never trained. Uh, this is his first time walking into a gym and he can't hit the punching bag. He doesn't know how to grapple. He's absolutely he's starting absolutely at ground zero, cannot fight. Well, I'm like, okay, whatever. I'll try to find someone who's also at ground zero who cannot fight can't end up fighting a guy named justin condy who's one and three as an amateur but he's a real good kickboxer he's actually currently three and oh as a professional MMA fighter now as well but he was one and three as an amateur at the time so i'm like you know what i'm gonna put this fight together we'll go you know brian versus uh justin condy so the whole time he's like yeah man i'm training i'm pumped up good to go perfect come way in day <laughs> he walks in and uh, brian bochamp who's a referee uh, he's like a commission guy in ontario he's also a 11 time bjj world champion mostly competes in like the seniors division but that's still pretty dope as far as i'm concerned black belt black belt and judo as well he sees this guy hitting on the bag and he's like who is that i'm like oh this is this brian burbage and he's like yeah, that guy's not fighting on the card i'm like what do you mean he's like this, this guy's walking liability not fighting on the card so he calls over one of his students who's a purple belt and he's like you grapple him real quick let me see if... and the guy sandbags to try to make brian look good but doesn't both champs like nah nah this guy's off the card so he allows some dude bobby poulter who's a oh and oh never fought before he allows that guy to just step in and ends up being the greatest amateur fight ever and this terry guy ends up just vanishing off the map ends up like going to jail i end up seeing like changes his name from brian to terry terry grant and he's just like fired check him out if you punch into youtube terry grant terry burberry terry springer terry potter pretty much anything that has that can be turned into terry that's his whole thing and like the production value is legit but they're just rappers from sault ste marie they're not getting any further in life they just they rap on the side for fun so I can't say that Bryce Mitchell or Brian Kelleher or any of these guys are any better than some random guy from Sault Ste. Marie. They're just not good rappers for the most part. But uh, <clears throat> I will admit, if you, you were going to have listened a... to him, how do you know? Maybe, well, maybe mean... Darkensaw is the greatest hit you've ever heard. I just skimmed through over it in my headphones. And what I would say <laughs> is if someone was like, I'm a good rapper, I'm a good rapper. No, I'm a good rapper. Listen, 
what does it come down to? What makes a good song? Is it views? No, because then you got guys like Takashi Six Nine. Well, then they're the best rappers, right? They get the most views, even though it's trash. Even though he'll tell you it's trash. Who's that little yachty or something? I, I don't know. Trash. It's all trash. Views don't mean anything. You're saying lyrically sound? Okay, okay. It's a rap battle. That's the only way to determine who the best rappers. Freestyle. You can come up with that shit at the top of your head. That's impressive. That's impressive. If you can sit down with the beat and you got a script in front of you, how many times did he read it? hundred times? You know, like what, what was the best read? Freestyle rap. That's the only way to determine what's up. So the UFC should capitalize on this and have like an eight mile style rap battle. I don't see why they wouldn't. I don't see why they wouldn't. I think they should. I'm a hundred percent on board. That seems like something that seems like a, who wants to be the best rap. That seems like the content for fight pass. Make a uh, reality TV show where who is the best UFC rapper and and maybe they can fight in between. Who knows? Um, <laughs> all right. Uh, I imagine you're gonna have a Bellator preview up on uh, on the CJ Safdick uh, YouTube page. And if you haven't checked out his Harold uh, Harold Howard uh, thing, I've always I didn't know that like everything went so hor like I watched your video. Oh, right. I didn't know that everything had went so horribly wrong. For Harold Howard, like I'm not surprised that it went horribly wrong, but um, I didn't know it. Would, I didn't know that that is what happened to him after he disappeared from from the UFC. So it's kind of sad, but it seems like he's probably on the right track because he's out of the public limelight, which is good. Um, and back yeah, back it's in ama- it's uh, amazing back how in much, Niagara, uh... what just <laughs> teaching? I guess who knows? Who knows? But he's not in jail, so that's good times. But um yeah definitely uh that was a cool thing that you and j-rock did so uh you should go check that out on cj safdick's our cody our main man's uh youtube channel um for some good times and i guess uh we're all out of time but before we go hit him with the prp all right parlays this week are pretty much dead in the water because there's so many underdogs but if we keep it tight and precise we'll do good props will do good you just bet these guys straight up you'll do good but let's go with the prp we're gonna go with aldo Dog number one, Brad Riddell, dog number two, Leo Santos, Jamahal Hill, dog number three, Chris Curtis, dog number four, Brian Barberina, I, I guess, Mackie Patolo, dog number six, Jeremiah Wells, dog number seven, Jeez. Manel Cop, Cheyenne Vilsmas, Lonzo <laughs> Menafield, uh, Chris Grutzmacher is even money, Asmarat Mirzaganov, and Mickey Galls, dog number eight, and then Louis Smolka. So, we have 15 fights. I'm thinking eight of them are underdogs. That's a little more than half the card. Even if it's seven of them, it's a little less than half the card. All I'm saying is dogs will be barking. The longer you extend these parlays, the more you're opening yourself to someone who's shitting in the apple pie. Unless we can have the right, you know, the right combination, which is what we're going for. We can hit the first line. We can hit the first two lines. We're going to be good. We can yeah. hit one of these zones with these plus money. We're going to be good. But uh, we talked about, was it two UFC cards ago? That was the last UFC card, I think. You could have just taken all the underdogs. If you just bet all of the underdogs and half of them win because you're getting plus money, you're you good. Come out ahead, if yep. a Chris Curtis hits at a plus 280, well, you can afford to lose two or three favorites because of that plus money. It's all about the plus. Mm-hmm. And on this card in particular, you know, plus 280 on him, plus 140 on Hill seems pretty good. Plus yep. 140 on, on Mackie Patolo, 
plus 155 on Jeremiah Wells. You talked about plus 55 for that knockout prop. That's all crazy to me. Yep. Um, you know, if you are a Jared Vander, a guy, and I wouldn't write it out, plus 175, that's a great price. Mickey Gall, if you're buying into the narrative as I am, plus 180, that's a great price. There's money to be made. It's that. I agree. I don't know that we're going 12 for 12 or 15 for 15. No, and a lot of these. We'll do our damnest. And a lot of these underdogs will, you know, they're going to lose. Like, you're not going to. You're not going to sweep all of them. Uh, you're probably not going to sweep all of them. But, but yeah, it gives you a lot more outs when you, yeah, Chris Curtis comes through at plus 280. It's a, as exactly how you said. It's like, well, the next two bets, like, even if well or, you know, I guess Curtis is way, way further. But even if, like, Hill and Riddell didn't come through, well, you're probably still ahead if, if you're sizing your bets correctly. Yeah, that is exactly that it. Is it. And then... Yeah, and then you're right, man. We got a full Bellator card as well. So I think the plan would be take some of these Bellator favorites and mix it with some of your favorite underdogs from the UFC card. But just to fire it off real quickly, because right. I know we're probably running overtime. Um, no, nah, we're never overtime. Geez. Sergio Pettis yeah. has a plus 155 underdogs live, man. He's been in way different fights since he went to Bellator. His wrestling's on point. He looked crisp against Juan Archuleta. He's live. Where you pass on it altogether, it doesn't matter. Jeremy Kennedy should have the grappling advantage. He should be able to apply it, and he's another underdog. Jared Scoggins, this is where I like it. Jared Scoggins is Justin Scoggins' brother. He's 10 and 1. He's a v- very mobile fighter. And he actually got a win over Cody Durden a few fights back where he stuffed all of the takedown fights. Josh Hills as one dimensional as one dimensional gets. He just tries to press you up against the cage. Like he's worked on his striking, he's worked on these things, but he's got no X factor to his game. I think Scoggins is going to dance around him and take him. Eblin's a minus 1,000 favorite. Like he's obviously going to walk through a huck body. We all know that. Um, this Kyle Kruchmer, I think he gets the win over Oliver M. Camp. And then beyond that, Alexander Shbili, who's a minus 550 favorite. Bobby King just won a split decision over Nick Newell, who has one arm, one hand, I guess I should say. Uh, everybody likes Mike Hamill, but Killy's Moda should have his numbers. Spike Carlisle is going to be live in this spot against Dan Moret. There's some fun fights there for sure. So I think you take the two or three big favorites, mix it up with a couple underdogs. We'll release, obviously, plays. I'm going to do a show for tomorrow. We're going to release the plays for Friday. And then, yeah, I always say, if you love Bellator, let's hit it. If you are just so-so with Bellator, let's make a little bit of money, and you can just parlay those winnings over to the UFC card. So, you know what? I, I just I always feel good about things. I'm an optimistic guy. It's like, oh, I like these spots. I like these fights. It's going to be entertaining, but we want to hit the winners. But, um, yeah, man, I'm, I'm excited to get at it. And I think we've got a lot of choices this week. The main thing is going to be be smart. Don't, over, don't overextend yourself. No. And uh, I think we're going to come out on the right side of it. Three cards until the end of the year. Make some money for, you know, your holiday festivities, whatever the hell you get up to. And then we're off for a month. So, um, so yeah, get 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 in while the getting's good. And as we were saying, lots of underdog opportunities to be had this week. So if you're if you have a good good card, like money, there is money to be made, especially on this UFC card. I think this week. So that is it for us this week. Want to thank. Cody on the line, as always, and producer Matt behind the scenes. For both of those guys, I am Paul Shaughnessy saying goodbye and good luck. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. 
Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.